Well, this is the beginning of the new year as uh, we look at what God has for us in 2016. And I don't know if you're like me, whenever I write a check, the first month I always put the year that was just passed, 2015, before I finally realized it's 2016. Uh, and so sometimes we, we have a tendency to kind of live in the past rather than live in the future or whatever, whatever we're involved in the present. But God wants us to take today, and today is, is a new day. Today is the day of the Lord, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. But sometimes when we think about being glad in the day that God has given us today, uh, we think on a natural level, and we think there's not a whole lot to be glad about. There's not a whole lot to be happy about. There's, there's not too many things we're going to be grateful or praiseworthy about. And, and that could be for a variety of reasons, things that are particularly personal to us or to people around us, or it could be how we observe what's happening in the nation. I was uh, just looking at some things this past week, and it was interesting. One author said, uh, all you have to do to kind of uh, take a, a, a stock of where we are as a culture is just look at uh, what is happening around um, our, our people's hearts and minds in terms of what's important to them. And you might ask yourself the question, well, how do you know what's important to people? Well, one way, way to do it is, is look at, at a Google search. You know, what are people searching for on the Internet? And in the last, uh, last year, in 2015, I came across an article that said, well, you know who the top 10 people of 2015 we were interested in? In fact, you know who the top two were? They all are in one family, the Kardashian family, all right? That's who we're interested in. What a nation, right? You know, what are the top 10 questions? And the top two questions was what is zero divided by zero and what is Ashley Madison? You know, that's what people are interested in. And then, uh, what are the top how-to searches? Number one, how to use the new Snapchat update and how to solve a Rubik's Cube. And if you were with us on Christmas Eve, uh, I share with you that the, the number one word, at least by way of Oxford Dictionary, uh, for 2015 is an emoji. An emoji is a you know, picture that you can put on your phone to send to people in a text or what it might be. And it's the face of... Uh, Someone who was crying, I know, was laughing, but where tears are coming out of, the, out of their eyes. Well, the number sixth most important how-to by way of Google search for Americans in 2015 is how to get the new emojis. So that's what we're all interested in as a nation. You're thinking, wow, we are really deep, aren't we? <laughs> and then you kind of look on a political perspective and you say, well, aren't we all fascinated with who are the number one candidates for both the Republican and Democratic parties? Oh, my, you know, you look, at, look at the ones that we're going to be voting for, possibly, for leading our country. And we're wondering, just, is there hope for our nation? But as we think about life, uh, sometimes we are, we're kind of challenged to be positive rather than being negative. Uh, but is that just a kind of a self-help guru, you know, exhortation? Or is it possible to be positive in a world that oftentimes, if we're honest, we feel is very, very negative. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at a word, a singular word, and it's not an emoji, but it is a word in the New Testament that really speaks about being positive. Or to put it in more biblical language, to be a person filled with praise or joyful expression or happy expression in the midst of whatever's going on in life. I've entitled the message uh, this morning, it, It's Time to Praise God. And you might be thinking, well, that sounds like what a pastor ought to say as you begin the new year, but is that really possible 
to be filled with gratefulness or thankfulness or praise or, or positive, joyful expressions in a world that is fascinated with the Kardashians who wants to know how to make a Rubik's Cube faster than how you, well, I can't even do it at all, but whatever you might be, you know, what is it that's really important to you? Well, this morning we're going to look at that, and we're also going to get back in a series that we began in 2015, which is uh, the series we had in the book of Revelation, which I, I hope to put together as we kind of re restart that engine in, in simple ways. Uh, first of all, the book of Revelation, which is a, a book in the New Testament, the last book of the New Testament, which is a mystery to many people. And if you've read it on your own, you're saying there's more things in this book that I don't understand than I do understand. Well... Part of it is, is putting that book in, in some simple uh, things to hang on. The, the book of Revelation is simply a book that tells us about what is going to happen and who is going to make it happen. And whether we get the details all right or not, we know that God's got a plan and that plan's going to play out and it'll play out exactly as he has designed it to be, as he fulfills all that he, had, he has begun from the beginning, the book of Genesis to the Revelation, which unveils what's to happen in the future. But even more importantly, it's, a, it's about a person. It's, it's Jesus. And, and Christmas is all about Christ. And if you put Christ out of Christmas, you've really missed what Christmas is about. And if you put Christ out of the book of Revelation, you've missed what Revelation is all about. It's about Jesus coming again. But in the midst of that, you, you, you read this, this book, and, and there's, some, there's some scary things happening. If we were to put it in simple terms, there's some negative things that are going to happen. Some things you'd say, how can it be positive when God describes his wrath just poured out on the earth? Well, because what is that wrath of God going to produce? And what does it tell us about who he is and who we are and how we can get involved in his plan? And that's, that's the backdrop of what we're going to talk about this morning as we get back to where we left off. And also, I just want to throw this out for free as well. The book of Revelation has, has two vantage points. And if we believe anything what the Bible says, uh, there's, there's, a, there's an earth and there's also a what? A heaven. And as we think about what's happening on earth, we need to realize it all begins because God's doing something on heaven that's going to be put down here on earth. And, and when you get past the introductory parts of the book of Revelation, you, you have what God's doing in heaven. And he says it in pictorial language. And, and in chapter 5, we have, we have the story being played out in heaven. And it's all about this book or the scroll that a Google search or a Yahoo search is being done. And, and, and no one can find anyone worthy to open up this book. Now, I have a lot of books. If you've ever been in my library, it kind of overflows all my bookcases, and, and then it goes into my house, and it overflows all my bookcases in the house. And I have a lot of books, but quite frankly, you can open up any of my books anytime you want. Okay? But there's a book in which only one person is deserving or worthy to open the book. And they search everywhere, and they find there's only one, and that one is Jesus. Because, again, the book of Revelation is revealing what is to happen, but more importantly, who's going to make it happen, and it's Jesus. And when he opens up this book, it's kind of the, the title deed for this planet that, that has been lost to the world of, that's rejected and rebelled against God, and God's going to reclaim it back. And when he opens up this book, it unveils the details of what's going to happen. 
And it's the judgments that God's going to put on this planet for that which is, it has done in rejecting his offer of life in him. So then in chapter, after chapter 5 comes chapter 6. Very good. And from chapter 6 through 18, we have not from a heavenly perspective, but from an earthly perspective. And in that earthly perspective, you have the judgments of God, and there's much detail there. The sealed judgments of God, which is that which comes out of the, the book that's been closed, and you break each seal, and it gives the details of God's judgments. And then you have God giving an announcement with truth trumpet judgments. Everyone's going to hear what's going to happen. And the bold judgments are something like kind of that which gets poured out on the earth. And for chapters 6 through 18, you have that which is happening on the planet. Then right before we get to the chapter we're going to look at this morning, and we're only going to see a small portion of that, you have the main thrust is God's going to obliterate those who rebel against him. And particularly the one who comes to personify this from the evil one, that which is known, or he who is known as the Antichrist. And all you need to remember about the Antichrist is, is that he is a false Christ. He's anti, which has the idea of against, but even more so has the idea of instead of. He's the instead of Christ. He's the false Christ. And people throughout the planet are incurably religious, but it's not about being religious. It's about worshiping the true God. And there's going to come a time where people are going to flood to what the evil one is presenting in this false Christ. And so in chapters 17 and 18, you have the final judgment in which the religious empire and the economic empire that the evil one, the Antichrist, and his followers have put up, and God will bring a judgment to them. So as we've been in heaven and then on earth for a period of time, in chapter 6 through 18, in chapter 19, God thrusts us up to heaven to take a look. And with that, we begin 2016 with, with God's encouragement or exhortation for us to recognize what He wants us to do and to be in a world that's more messed up than made up right. And how, how can we be positive in a negative world? Whether that world is very close to us or it's, it's national or global, how, how, do, how, how can we be prepared to be a people filled with praise? Now that with a long introduction, I, I, I told you earlier that I was going to give a message based basically on one word. And, and that word is a word that we sang this morning. And we, we sang it with, with, with two uh, different ways to spell it. It was the word hallelujah or alleluia. Remember that? Can you remember back that long ago? Okay. We, we sang hallelujah and alleluia. Well, interesting enough, though, it's been used in many, many songs of the faith throughout um, the history of the church. Interesting enough, this word alleluia or hallelujah doesn't arrive in the New Testament until the last book of the New Testament. And not only does it not arrive until the last book in the New Testament, it doesn't arrive until almost the last chapter. Not until the 19th chapter of Revelation does the word hallelujah show up. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 19. If you don't have it, don't worry about it because I'll, I'll uh, be reading the passage. But what we have here is, is God in heaven portraying for us what we can do here on earth, that we ought to be people who have that which we can say hallelujah or alleluia about. Now, 
as I've set this up, you might be thinking, if you've, if you've been in church even for a long period of time, I had people ask me this question before the message. They said, well, what, what does the word hallelujah or hallelujah mean? Have you ever found that sometimes we use words and we really don't know what they mean? Can you admit to that? You know, we, we say it and we go, what? I'm not sure exactly what I said, but I've heard it said, and, and I hope this is appropriate in the sentence I just used it in. The word hallelujah and all, or hallelujah, and the only reason it's, it's two different, you want to know why it's spelled differently? Some of you don't really care, I know, but I'm going to tell you. Okay, the, 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 the word come, uh, we, we take that word right out of the Greek New Testament, and it's spelled with, the first letter in this is, is the alpha word, which is the word letter that looks like A in our, in our language. And so they say, okay, hallelujah is spelled with A-L-L. So forth. But there's a breath mark on it, which means it's ha. And so that's why they put the H over it, the ones that spelled. Aren't you so glad you came to, to, to church today? Okay, now you know that that's why they have it spelled two different ways. But anyway, really, the idea here is that he's going to tell us that we ought to praise the Lord. That's what the word hallelujah means. Now, you know, I've already preached this once. I didn't have time enough to say, preach everything I wanted in the first service, so I'm just wasting time now because there's some things that came in my mind between the first service and the second service. Sometimes when I, when I read religious words like praise the Lord or Hosanna, you know, Hosanna means save us or save us now, I'm thinking, is, is that an exhortation or is that a statement? Is that something we're supposed to do or, or is it telling us what to do? You know what I mean? Praise the Lord. Okay, are you telling me to praise the Lord or are you... Are you doing something? And, and I, did, I, I thought at the end of the service, and it, this made a whole lot of sense to me. And I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but it, and I will get to the message. But the key to hallelujah or hallelujah, rather than just saying a word that doesn't mean anything, is that the focus there is you need to say that word or the translation of that word very slowly. Unlike how normally I speak. Okay, It's praise the Lord. See, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to be positive in 2016. Well, how can you be positive when there's so many negative things? How can you be filled with praise when rather you'd rather condemn or complain or murmur or groan, right? Well, the key is recognizing what you ought to, what you ought to praise about or who you ought to praise. It's praise the Lord. So when we say it's time to praise, it's time to praise God. It's time to praise the Lord. And that's always time. It's always a good time to do that, right? It's not always a good time to, to praise who gets elected or time to praise, you know, when you get in a car accident or, or, or whatever it might be. It's, that's a natural thing. But you can always praise the Lord no matter what happens. Because there is no, in fact, the Bible tells us there's never going to be a time before or after that's going to be like that time during the, the period of the tribulation when the wrath of God has been poured out. I don't care how bad you think it is now or how bad it's going to get. It's going to get worse during this period of time. And you'd be thinking, how could anybody praise anything unless they understand it's praise the Lord? So, with that, is a long, long introduction, longer than the one I gave you this morning, now, with less time than I had in the first service, let me kind of put that together. What, what is it that is always 
time to do when you focus that praise is about a person, the Lord, and what he's doing? Well, let me put it in four different ways. The word hallelujah is only used four times in the New Testament, and it's all found in the first six verses that we're going to read here. No other place does it tell us to praise the Lord in the New Testament with a singular word other than in this particular place right here. In the Old Testament, it never comes into play as well until into the Psalms, into the 100th Psalm, 104th Psalm. So this is not a, a typical word, though it's a typical thing God wants us to do. All right, let's look at it. You can always praise the Lord for four things. Let's look at it. Revelation 19, I'm not even turned to it yet. Revelation 19, here we have this. After these things, and after these things are the things that have already happened, and what has happened is the judgment of God has been poured out on the earth. He said, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And that's why we know we're not here on earth. We're in heaven looking at what's happening there. And what we need to understand, what is going to be portrayed is not something that was It was loud, and there were a lot of people doing it, or a lot of beings doing it, probably angels right here. And so it was like the stadiums, all the football games, endless football games that were, that were played over the weekend. It, take all these stadiums, fill them with people cheering for their favorite team. This is bigger that's happening in heaven. Cheering, and they're, they're, they're proclaiming a word, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then they tell us, well, in case you wonder, well, why should the Lord be praised? He said, because of salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So when we are not ready to praise the Lord, it means that we have forgotten two things. We've forgotten what he is doing and who he is. And so in your message notes, I put it this way. Praise the Lord, always praise the Lord for what he does and for being who he is. Now, what does he do? He, they give us three words here. And the first one really tells us what he does. He brings salvation. Salvation. And again, salvation is kind of a religious word, isn't it? I mean, you don't use the word salvation a whole lot, uh, just in your everyday language. But it really means a person who needs to be saved, or to put it a different way, he needs to be rescued. But he's not talking about a physical rescue here, or a financial rescue He's talking about a spiritual rescue. Have any of you ever been rescued, you know, physically? Let's say, how about swimming? Anybody ever been in the ocean or the water and someone had a, had, a, had a rescue or you would have drowned? I saw a couple hands out there. Now, I know this is going to totally surprise you, but, but when, uh, you know, because I'm always kind of a safety first kind of guy. But when I was young, I had never been in a pool and uh, my parents was going to take us to some friend's house, and they had a pool. I think I was, I was living in El Centro at the time, which you would have thought you would have, anybody there would have had a pool because it was so bleeping hot over there. But anyway, we got to the pool for the first time, and I'd never taken any you know, swimming lessons or whatever, and, and, and I got to the pool, and I just took off running. I jumped in the pool the deep end, having no clue what I was going to do when I hit the water. I didn't, in fact, I didn't even know what swimming was all about, okay? And and then all of a sudden, this hand comes down, grabs me, and throws me up out of the pool. And what I got at that point was saved from drowning. And my dad rescued me. You wouldn't hear me preaching if my dad hadn't thrust his arm down and grabbed this little guy didn't have a clue what he was doing in the water. Well, see, that's what God does for us. That's what he does. He saves us. 
Now, what does he save us from? He doesn't save us from water. He saves us from sin. But what does he save us from sin about? And here, just quickly, he saves us from the penalty of sin. And that's what this table is about. The Bible says that Jesus died in our place. Well, what does that mean? He means that he died getting what we deserved. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. <coughs> and so we deserve to die for our sins, the penalty for our sins, and yet Jesus died in our place. So he saves us from the penalty of sin. The Bible also says he saves us from the power of sin. In Romans 6.11, it talks about that we ought to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And, and we should no longer be slaves to our sin because, because God has given us the ability to not just stay in our state we, we can grow in our relationship with God and overcome that which has brought us down. You know, you know I'm not, God's not finished with me yet, but he's still working on me, but he's given me the power to improve and to, to be more like him. So he saves us from the power of sin. The third one is all future. He's going to save us from the presence of sin. Romans 8 says that this whole earth groans because it's not like it's supposed to be. It, it, it's not according to God's intended plan, but it's coming a day when he's going to buy back this all, this planet back, and it'll work like it's supposed to work. Even our own bodies will work like it's supposed to work. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? And that never changes, no matter who's in, in office, no matter who's ruling in Washington, D.C., is that God can save us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and in the future, the presence of sin. And I don't know about that, but that, that's something to be positive about. That's something to be joyful about. That's something worthy of praise to the Lord because he does this. He saves us. And then he throws a couple other words there. He says glory and power. Power. He's the powerful one. Philippians 3 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, which we all eagerly wait for a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has. Remember the whole story of Christmas. The whole story of Christmas makes absolutely no sense, does it? Unless God has full power, right? I mean, take, take the foundation of this, this whole Christmas story, which is Mary with child. And the announcement by the angel to, to Mary, and, and she's going, this can't be. I have not been with a man. How, how can I have a child in the womb? The announcement is God's going to place a child in your womb. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, God is powerful enough to make that happen. And she says, well, that does make sense because with God, nothing is impossible. Why? Because of his power. And so we can praise God because he is powerful enough to do what needs to be done. Hallelujah for Salvation and power and glory belong to God. And, and what glory is is simply, among other things, you could, you could substitute the word the beauty of God, the, the, the awesomeness of God. It, it's like seeing anything that, that we are just in, in, in awe of. It's like going to the Grand Canyon and just seeing the beauty of the Grand Canyon or seeing a sunset or a sunrise, and, and we're just amazed by it. Well, that's who God is. And that's who Jesus is. In Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews 1, 3, it says this, And he, is the, he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and exact representation of his nature. 
When we were, if we were to be in the presence of Jesus, we would be overwhelmed by him because of his glory. I just heard on, uh, I think it was the radio this morning driving to church, and said that they just did a poll, and they said the number, the, the, the number one athlete in all of American history has been voted on, and that's Michael Jordan. They said almost every generation voted for him except for one, the older generation. They said it was Babe Ruth. <laughs> so they're still thinking baseball, okay. But, I mean, you're just overwhelmed by his athletic ability. You know, that's the glory of Michael Jordan, his ability to, to fly through the sky and, you know, dunk the ball in so many different, different ways. Well, the glory of God far surpasses that. And so we can always be filled with praise for what God does. He saves us and who he is, he's... He's resonant power and glory. Number one. Number two, and we'll get through this quickly. Another thing we ought to be praised God for is, is his ability to bring justice to this world. Uh, look at verse two and three. Because, he, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth and with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on on her, and the second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So, the second thing that we can praise God for is for true justice being carried out. Now, I, don't, I just have to break things down in my own mind for, for things to work. You know, let's be honest, are we, are we always filled with praise, you know, throughout the day? No, okay. And there's two reasons why we're not filled with praise, at least that's how I think. One is because I forget what needs to be praised, which is the greatness of God. And I'm thinking about everything else going on. I'm not thinking of the greatness of God. I'm thinking about what's going on. But the other thing is I forget, you know, what to praise, but also these other things kind of rob me of my praise, right? The things that go wrong, evil, prospering, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what he's saying here, he said, look, I want you to understand that... The great harlot, that which is from the evil one that's allowing rampant evil and immorality and injustice to, to go uh, throughout this planet, that's going to end. And often we, 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 uh, we think that, don't we? When, when things go wrong, we say, where is God in all this? Why doesn't he show up? And God will say, I'm showing up. And we can praise God that he will right all wrongs. In Psalm 104, verse 35, which, interesting enough, I'm sure you're all into trivia this morning, this is the first time in the Old Testament that the word hallelujah used, even though the word is not translated that in most of your Bibles. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise or hallelujah. And it's simply saying that, that praise should be given when evil is judged and punished. Now, the message is that God wants all those who are rebelling against him to come to him. And, and time does not give us the opportunity to repeat all the ways during this period of tribulation where he tries to rescue people. Gives the invitation out so many times so all those who are rebellion can come to him. But what he is saying here plainly is that when the last chance is given, justice will reign. And we ought to praise God for that. Thirdly, the third hallelujah, and we'll skip those other passages, is for God being on the throne. 
God being in charge. Uh, look, look at where the, the third hallelujah shows up. Uh, look at verse 4 and 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, and, and who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice comes from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. But the two things I want to emphasize, they fell down and worshipped him who was on the throne. Now, now you know, we, we have certain places of authority and responsibility, and we call them, you know, the seats of, of power. We need to recognize that throughout God's revelation of who he is, he's, he's in charge. He's in control. And we can praise God in the midst of whatever goes on that he has the, the ability to do whatever he wants to do, and he will accomplish his plan according to his timetable. And he will be victorious. So as we, get, as we get so overwhelmed by what's happening or not happening, we need to recognize that God's still in control. And isn't that worthy of praise? God, God's on the throne. And then fourthly, um, and this is where the last hallelujah comes in, is that we need to recognize that, that God's got the celebration that he's planned for our life uh, He's got that on schedule. Isn't, isn't life often lived, uh, particularly when you're going through some disappointing times, looking for the light at the end of the tunnel? Isn't that true? Yeah, I know. We just went through a really difficult period of time. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking so forward to whatever it might be. And, and it could be as simple as, you know, you know kids, you know, they're, they're all looking for what period of time during... You know, the, the, the year. They're looking, for, they're looking for summer, right? If it's, now, if you have a year-round school, they've messed up that illustration. But they're looking for time off, aren't they? Right? And, and we as a culture, uh, there's one day of the week that now has a restaurant named after it. But also, you know, when you get to, to Friday, everybody gets religious and they call it, thank God it's Friday, right? And if you're not off on Friday, it's whatever day you're off, right? Thank God I get a day off tomorrow. And you're always looking forward to something. Well, God says, look it, I've got something for you to look forward to. And just kind of stating it. Verse, verse uh, 6. Then I heard something, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder. So this is loud again saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, why? For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, he's in control. But even more so, look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, just stopping for a moment. Some of you have heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb and this is where this comes from. But let's just break it down simply. You know, if you've ever had a loved one or one of your own children and and they, they got engaged, and then, then all the plans and preparations are for them to get what? Married. And it is, it is such, a, it's such an event that you just so much look forward to. And, and now, interesting enough, because I've been involved in some of the ceremonial stuff, is, is now they, they spend as much time thinking, well, yeah, but what are we going to do for the reception? Let's make the reception a party, Right? And that's what he's saying here. I want you to understand that there's going to happen 
that which we're, you're going to be so filled with joy about because we're going to celebrate because God's plan is going to happen. And, and everyone dresses up for it. Verse 8, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And, and really the idea is not what you're wearing, but who you are. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. They're excited because they're going to be part of this event. <laughs> now, this event in, in Jewish culture was, was, was filled with all kinds of stages. There was the engagement stage. And we have an engagement part in our, you know, tradition as, as Americans and, you know, the Western culture. And this is the Old, in the New Testament, Old Testament, it's the betrothal part of it, where the promises are made. And interestingly enough, those promises sometimes uh, were not made by the, 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 the groomsmen and the bride. They were done by the family, weren't they? And sometimes they were done years before the marriage ever to, was to occur. But there was, there was a promise being made. And see, when did that happen between us and the Lord? Well, on God's end, it happened before even time began as we understood it. It came before the foundations of the world. God promised himself to us. That was the engagement period of time. Th then there was the preparation time. The preparation time, interesting, the man, after there was the engagement or betrothing, which was a promise to be married, he, he was supposed to get his act together. Well, how am I going to provide for this, this spouse? Where, where, where are we going to live? So he'd go back to his father's house and start building an addition to it. You know? he, he's, getting a, he was getting prepared for that new family that was going to be started as they would become one, and, and then if children were to come. And he, so he was building as a preparation. And isn't that kind of what Jesus said when he left here in John 14? You know, I want you to know I go to prepare a place for you. That, that where I am, there you may be also. And so as we, look, as we go through life and we have, we're trying to anticipate something to praise God, God is preparing for us to celebrate with him. And, and then there's the presentation. The presentation, well, let, let, let's have, let's have some, some fun as we put this whole thing together. And that, that would go on for days. As, as they would gather together. And, you know, and Jesus said, I'm going to gather you to myself. In fact, he said, I want you to know that, that I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. That again, that where I am, there you may be also. And, and then there's the ceremony. And then there's the celebration, the reception time, where, where everybody's filled with joy. And that's what the marriage of Supper of the Lamb is all about. Where, where people come literally to party with God because his plan is being completely played out. In fact, this marriage of the land, as I understand, is, is probably a, a celebration that happens throughout God's millennial kingdom here on earth. As they just celebrate the presence of Christ with the bride of Christ and all the guests, all those who know the Lord in a personal way. And then there's the consummation, the final plan being played out. And that's, that's God's heaven here on earth. So, so, so as, as you begin 2016, it's a time to praise God always because there's so much to, to pray, be praiseworthy about. If the focus, hallelujah, is praising the Lord for what he does and who he is, for justice finally being fully carried out, 
for realizing that he is on the throne, has always been on the throne. And to realize that that which we can be most looking forward to, the celebration of his presence, it's on schedule. And it's going to happen. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be a people marked by being filled with praise or gratefulness or joy no matter what we go through. Not, not, not that we don't struggle or, or have emotional pain over the loss of, of relationships or loved ones, but in the midst of that, we, we can be positive and filled with praise because you are worthy of praise because of who you are and what you do. That we can believe that you will right all wrongs. That you are in control and there's a celebration. An abundance now, but even more abundance in the future because of your promises to us. Help us begin 2016 right by desiring to live for you as we just keep taking step by step a journey of wanting to please you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand this morning...